want to worship. We want to stand in awe of all that you are and all that you've done. And although we weren't present at the birth of your son, we're so glad that we know these stories about people that were, that told their story, that proclaimed to the world that the king had been born. Help us also, help us respond in worship at the advent of the king who is also our king and the king of the universe. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Kids, we'll see you in a little bit for Children's Church. Can't wait to get out there. I know. It's so great. It's so great. Those who have been praying for me in my uh, concussion, I appreciate that. And uh, I, I don't think my concentration has been really good this week, but um, I do believe I heard from the Lord and was able to look into the Scriptures and, and ready to preach this morning. So we're going to do that now. Um, <clears throat> this week... Uh, a woman who had also adopted, just like we had from Uganda, got in touch with my wife, and they were kind of talking back and forth, and she knew a lot of the details of our adoption. She kind of knew what was going on there. She had left just before we had arrived, uh, and she was friends with one of the social workers that also worked with us. And, and she knew all these details, and she knew a lot of the things that were going on in the orphanage, maybe even more that we, than we knew, actually. And so she was sharing this stuff with us, sharing these details, and we're like, do you really think that was going on? Do you really think this was going on? And boy, if they would have, if they would have chosen to do it this way, we would have been there even longer. And you know, we're talking about all this stuff, you know. And, and there's something about there's something about insider information that grabs your attention, right? There's just something about that, like what's really going on behind closed doors? What did he say? What did she feel when he said it? There's something that just when you hear that stuff, there, there's a part of us. Maybe it's even a sinful part that's like, tell me more. You know, I want to know what's really going on here. And uh, it, it could be also a good desire to, just to want to know what's happening, but it, it could go either way. And I think sometimes when it comes to the Christmas story, we, we approach the story with sometimes the same good or bad. It, it could be good in that we want to hear the story and we want to go deeper in it, understand it better, g- get down to it and understand the Bible's rich and deep. And we want, we want to go there. But for some of us, we, we know the story so well. And it's like, here it comes again. I know about the wise men. You can tell me again about them. But, but I've heard it since I was a little kid. I was in the Christmas plays. I was the wise men up on the stage. You know, a lot of you have that kind of story. And so this can be very familiar. And, and it can kind of be like, if you don't give anything new here, I'm just checking out because I know the story. But, but I ask you not to check out. Because this is a time of year when we go through age-old, incredibly familiar stories, but we want to experience them in a fresh way. We want God to say something new to us this year, because that's what God does. He takes things that are incredibly familiar and yet says something new in them. He loves doing that. 
God loves speaking to his people. He spoke to Mary through an angel. Spoke to Zechariah through an angel. Spoke to the wise men, we're assuming through the scriptures, and through a star. He speaks. And he still speaks today. He speaks to you and me. And that's what we want to look at this morning as we check out the story of the wise men. Would you turn to Matthew uh, chapter 2? Matthew chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there should be a Bible in the pew in front of you. Matthew chapter 2 says, first starting in verse 1, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will, shep- who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You know the rest of the story as well. When Herod finds out that he's been tricked and the wise men don't come back because he didn't really want to worship the king, he orders children, he orders babies to be killed. But Mary and Joseph leave after being warned in a dream by an angel to escape. God still speaks. And in Matthew chapter 2, you see that he speaks to a bunch of different people. And they're all hearing the same thing. But the way they respond is incredibly different. Let's look at Herod first. Herod hears, right? Because the Magi come and they speak to Herod first. They come to Jerusalem and they say, Herod, where's the one born king of the Jews? Now you've got to know a few things about Herod. He is the king. He's not the king by birth. He's a king by appointment. Rome appointed him king. He's not Jewish either. He's part of uh, the Edomites. So, so you know there's a story of Abraham and Sarah, right? Abraham and Sarah had a child named Isaac. Isaac marries Rebekah. And this is in Genesis, right? And, and Isaac and Rebekah have two children, right? They have Jacob and Esau. Jacob, whose later names changed to Israel. And Esau, who's not part of God's chosen people in the Old Testament. He's not part of Israel. So Herod is an Edomite. He's part of Esau's line. Although in religion... He worships like a Jew. In practice, he acts like a heathen. He, he's 
incredibly volatile. He, he has his own wife killed. He has a couple of his children killed. He has friends killed. That's the kind of man that he is. And so when it says that Herod is disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him, you, you kind of get the picture that maybe Jerusalem's worried because it's like the old saying, to paraphrase, if Herod ain't happy, nobody's happy. And so maybe all of Jerusalem's worried because Herod's disturbed. Because Herod has these wise men come in and they say, we've come to worship. Where's the king, you know? And they're not saying, Herod, you're the king. We've come to see you. They say, no, we want to see the king, the one who's been born king. And not a future king, the king right now. He was born king. And so the king who was appointed by Rome feels threatened. He feels threatened. And so he pretends to want to worship the king. Go find out, you know, it's, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem. He gathers the chief priests and people, you know, and okay, where's the king supposed to be born? And they answer, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem, Micah 5 2. We know the Bible. That's where it is. So he sends them. Herod heard all the same things. He heard the prophecy, Micah 5 2. There it is, Herod. He's going to be born, the king. He hears about the wise men who knew to come from very, very far to worship this king. Herod knew there was a king or he would not have had all those babies killed. And yet what he did with that information was fight. Herod listened in order to fight the king. That was his response to this whole birth of Jesus. And some of us, in fact, there may be some in this room that also listen in order to fight. That is, you hear the words I'm saying, and you've heard the words other Christians say, and you've heard what the Bible says, you've read this thing, and you don't like what it says. And so I'm not trying to compare you to a murderer. Herod's in a class all by himself. But there are certainly many, and many here, you you would say of yourselves, I used to be the fighter. I used to be the one that didn't like Christianity, didn't like Christians, and didn't like Jesus. And I fought. So when someone talked about Jesus, I had all the answers to say back to them, to tell them how ridiculous their faith was. Maybe that was you. Maybe that's who you are now. I'm only challenging you to think this through. I'm challenging you to consider again the claims of Christ on your life. Not to listen in order to fight and to push against what you're hearing, but to just to consider it again. Because there are many, there are many in this country that listen only to argue, only to fight and to push against what the king wants to say in your heart? Would you open yourself up to what he wants to say? Of course, on the other hand, I've also met Christians that like to fight. And that's an unfortunate thing as well. I remember one time I was invited to preach at a church, and I went in and I was preaching Ruth chapter 1. Same thing I did last year, actually, at this church. And I preached Ruth chapter 1, and a man came up to me afterwards And uh, he said, 
and it was after like everyone had cleared out. You know, everybody had kind of we did shake the hands. Everybody had greeted everybody, and everybody was kind of leaving. And he came up to me at the end and uh, said, "Pastor, you have done an injustice to this text." He got his finger out. Right? That's dangerous, you know. And uh, and so I knew this. You know, when the finger comes out like that, you know it's not going to be an easy conversation. And so I listened, and he said, "You totally missed the point of Ruth chapter one." Okay. Well, tell me what it is. So he tells me what it is. And I say, you know what? That's not a bad, that's not a bad answer. It's not a bad interpretation. I just don't think that's what I see going on here. And there's a lot of other people that, that see it this way as well. But, you know, it's okay. And he says, well, not only that, but he says, you, you have psychologized the text, he said. I don't know if psychologize is a word, but he used it, okay? I got it. And he said, you, you implied that, that we might be like Ruth and have really bad things going on, you know, and that's not what this passage is really about. We're not supposed to identify with Ruth. I'm like, well, again, I disagree. I disagree. Now, there are some people that listen to the Word of God in order to critique. You know, they, they want to say, what did he get wrong? You know, and I'm human, so I'm sure that I've said some wrong things from the front here. You know, it just that's what happens. You know, it's what happens to all of us. I heard one pastor this week say, he said, last week I said that the, the veil was torn at the resurrection and someone corrected me. You know, it's like, well, that happens. You know, the veil was torn at the death of Christ in the temple. You know, that's what happened. Um, it, it happens because we're human. Um, none of us are as perfect as this book. So, again, I ask you, if that's you, and in your heart there's this antagonism can you set that aside and just hear, just hear what God is saying and get past what pastors say? Herod. Herod heard, but he heard to fight. By the way, you know if you're a fighter, if, if you're one of those people, and I do it too, if in your marriage, you know, your, your spouse is talking to you and you're disagreeing about something, and you're hearing her, but you're only hearing her to come up with your answer back, you know? Do you do that? <laughs> you're listening to fight, you know? Um, I'm gonna, I got a good one. But, but listen to hear. Listen to understand. Don't listen to say, aha! Gotcha. Listen to hear. Okay, so religious leaders of the next group. So you got Herod. Herod wants to kill the king. The religious leaders listen as well. Did you see this? Um, here they are, verse 4. So Herod heard all this, and he calls together, verse 4, the, all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, literally, um, that, that word is scribes, the scribes, and he asks them, where is Christ, the Christ to be born? So apparently, the wise men didn't know about Micah 5, verse 2, the, the one they quote here, out of, but you Bethlehem, in the land of Judea. Apparently the wise men didn't know that verse. They didn't recognize that as the birthplace of the king yet. And so Herod calls the other religious leaders together, and they know exactly where the king's going to be born. Oh yeah, Micah 5 too. They, they quote it. I'm, I'm sure they quote it. I bet they didn't have to go back to get the scrolls. Like, there it is. We can tell you where, where he's going to be born. Scribes. Scribes know where he's going to be born. Now, a couple of things you got to know about the scribes. Um, they are copiers of the Bible. Okay? 
It's before Gutenberg's printing press, right? You know, before the washing machine, before the dishwasher, I was the dishwasher, you know? You know what I mean? Like, they were the copy machines. Never had to, never had to replace the ink cartridges, right? Um, they were it. And, and their job was to copy accurately the Old Testament. Uh, that was their scriptures. And, and they would do it incredibly well. Incredibly well. They, in fact, they would count letters in each book. So like they, they would know, if they're copying the book of Isaiah, they would know the middle letter in the book of Isaiah. Okay, so it's a, it's a Y, you know, whatever the, whatever the letter is. And so when they would finish copying the book of Isaiah, they would count. And they would come to that middle letter. And if it wasn't a Y or whatever the letter was, well, then you got a mistake. And you got to toss the whole scroll out. You know? <laughs> Maybe you count twice. Again, just to make sure, right? Just to make sure. <laughs> but, but they were incredibly accurate. Which is why when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, we're looking and comparing like, oh, we're going to find all these, all these, all these errors, but we didn't find errors. We found accuracy. We found accuracy with what we have today. Well, I, you know, it's often said that when they came to the name Yahweh, the name for God, they would stop, wash their hands, and then write the name for God. Such reverence for who God is. Every chance to see the Dead Sea Scrolls, I highly recommend it. I saw Minneapolis, and even though I can't read Hebrew, I did Greek. I didn't do Hebrew. Uh, even though I never did Hebrew, they, you know, I, I could see the word for Yahweh. I looked it up. I knew what it looked like, and I could see it in the text. It was kind of set apart in, in, in the scroll, you know. So you get to see this and see. You think like they wrote that name on that scroll, and they were incredibly in awe of that name, the name for God. Oh, the scribes. The scribes. So they're the experts. They know this book backwards and forwards and to the letter, literally. And yet, when it comes to this business of the king, they know he's in Bethlehem. And they hear along with Jerusalem about these wise men that are coming and Herod's disturbed about it and what's going on. They had the shortest distance to travel to see the king. Bethlehem being about five miles south of Jerusalem. They didn't have to travel from afar like the wise men did. And yet they don't show up. They don't show up. You know? I mean, I remember my kids are in school a couple years ago in Watoma, and I heard that um, one, of the, one of the Green Bay Packers was at, uh, in Princeton at the school visiting. And I was like, well, I would have gone, you know, Right? I mean, if they were like in Eagle River, I would go. I, I would, I, you know, I would. It's just down the road. And they're on the road from the king. And they show incredible apathy. Amazing apathy. Who, who cares? They care about the name of God. They care about God's word. And, and they copy it and they love it. And they totally miss the point. Religious leaders then listen in order to ignore the king. They ignored the king. And I don't know if that was their intention. I, I, we can't get into their heart to see what was going on in there. We can only judge by their actions. 
that they totally ignored. I mean, Herod called us together and told us there was a king and told, where, where's the king supposed to be born? And, and, and they don't even check it out. For some of us, um, we, we know our Bible backwards and forwards because we were raised in this thing. But it's been a while since it's transformed us. You know, it's been a while since it's changed us. But we know it. And we're proud of our knowledge. It reminds me a few years ago, um, I don't know if they still do this, but one of the radio stations promoted this Bible quiz. I don't know if they still do that or not, but, but different churches could form like teams, right? And the radio station would ask incredibly obscure questions about the Bible. You know, so they'd ask, you know, what, what was, um, uh, you know, Melchizedek's uh, origin, you know, what I would quote the verse, Melchizedek's more, a little more well-known, but they would ask names you've never heard of before. Never heard of, you know. Uh, Methuselah's great-great-great-grandchild, go, you know. And, and, and you as a church, you have your team together, and you'd be like, get in your Bible, you got your concordances, and you're looking things up, and like, give us the verse, we need to look it up, find out who the name is, you know. And then you call into the radio station and say, I got it, it's this person, either you get it or you don't. I think there was maybe um, extra points for how quickly you got it, the first team to get it. So there was all this competition. And, and honestly, I would go into that. I mean, I, was, I, didn't, I didn't organize the team. I was just invited to be on the team because I knew the most. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You were all going with me there, too. <laughs> no. Um, I was invited to be on the team. And, and I say that because... There is that, that pride thing that goes on, you know? Like, I know my Bible, and of course they want me on the team, and, you know, and we're going to find this, we're going to beat those other churches down, you know? Bible beating, you know? Uh, what, what do you say when your team is a Bible team? I don't know, you know? Take them out, beat them with the Bible. I don't know what you say. I don't know what you say. But that's kind of ugly, isn't it? It's kind of ugly. I mean, if you don't watch your heart, it's kind of ugly. Some of us know so much. And yet, I would argue, you don't know anything that you haven't really practiced. You don't really know anything that you haven't practiced. And that is why each week you can come to church and the Bible is alive every single time. You can open your Bible in your devotions, and it is alive every single time. Because even though maybe you've heard the commandment from your youth not to lie, but, but the day you hear it in church, it's like, oh my goodness, I just remembered I've been telling lies all week. You know, I mean, I, you hear those stories, right? I came to church and you preached on the thing I was struggling with, and how did you know? And it's like, I didn't know. It's just, God, God does that. You open your devotions, you know, and you're reading, and you say, God, it's like you're talking straight to me, but I know you were talking to them, right? You weren't really talking to me. And God's like, yeah, I was talking to you. Why do you think you read it today? You know, so whenever anybody says to me, I, I know all that stuff. You know, I, I don't need to know any more about that. I've, I've got that. Ooh, that's a hard thing for me to hear. That's a hard thing to hear because you can read a text for the billionth time and God says something fresh that day to you. And unless you start practicing it, you know, it's like James says, chapter James 1, don't just listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So if I'm not practicing what I'm reading, 
I'm only fooling myself. I'm fooling myself into thinking I'm spiritual because I have Bible knowledge. Boy, I remember, uh, I remember a great preacher I heard at Moody once came to chapel. Really, really shook me up. Cause, cause you're in Moody and you're getting Bible night and day, right? And, and he was an African American preacher, I remember, and he had a great voice. And that Sunday, that, that Wednesday he was talking about head knowledge. You know, that's the way he was saying it. Head knowledge, you know, he was just going. And he was talking about how silly head knowledge is. And I'll never forget that, just the way he said the word. And it's reminded me for a decade or more that it doesn't matter what I know. It matters if I let what I know transform me. That's what God cares about. Because you can be a scribe and you can know the middle letter of Isaiah. The middle letter. And you can wash your hands before you write God's name. You're so reverent. But if you ignore the king and don't respond to him, physically respond to him, you've missed it. You just missed it. And you will be a footnote in the Christmas story. Okay. Now for the wise men, right? The wise men. What do we know about wise men? We don't know a whole lot, right? They came from the east. So traditionally, a lot of people have said Arabia. Some people have said Persia. I personally like the idea of Babylon. Did you like that? Because, because remember Daniel was in Babylon. That was during the exile, Old Testament. Daniel gets taken away. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're all there. And, and, and the king Nebuchadnezzar has dreams that he can't figure out what they mean. He can't even remember what they are. So he brings in wise men. Tell me what I dreamed and tell me the interpretation. Who can do that? And Daniel can. And so Daniel is so impressive that Nebuchadnezzar makes Daniel in charge of the wise men. Well, you kind of think, what if, what if Daniel left his mark on those wise men, you know? Well, what, what if that's who we're talking about? Daniel had visions, dreams. Daniel had a vision of, of the anointed one that was going to come, the Messiah. So in Daniel's writings... You see a promised Messiah. If this was Babylon, which again, I'm just stepping out here on that. I'm not saying I know that's what it is. But if it was Babylon and you've got wise men that know, oh yeah, Daniel predicted a Messiah, an anointed one that would come. Better be looking for him. Better be looking for him. And maybe those wise men knew about Genesis 49.10, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. Wow, Genesis 49. There's going to be a ruler that's going to come out of Judah, Israel, and the nations are going to obey him. The nations, not just in a Jewish king, but the king of the world. But he's coming out of Israel. And maybe they knew Numbers 24.17. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of the sons of Sheth. Again, a, a ruler of nations. 
and there's a star rising out of Jacob. Maybe they knew that. There's a star. Now, about that star, maybe some of you have seen the, uh, the documentary, um, The Star of Bethlehem. If not, I recommend it. It's, it's pretty fun. Uh, I can't tell you if it's like 100% accurate. I mean, you kind of watch the thing and go, wow, here's the alignment of the stars around the time Jesus was born. And there's some interesting things going on. In particular, some interesting things going on with Jupiter and Jupiter's moon. Jupiter has over 60 moons, I think, but there's one moon in particular that's very interesting. So I, I recommend that to you to watch. I'm not going to try to repeat everything here and do an astronomy lesson, but there were some interesting things in the sky around that time that you could really see wise men understanding. And with our modern technology and mathematics, we can go back and see what the sky looked like at that time. Fascinating. Maybe, if, it, if, if there's no scientific explanation, I'm perfectly comfortable saying if God led Israel in the Old Testament with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, this could be just another manifestation of his glory, a star that moves around, and you follow it, the wise men followed it. I'm perfectly comfortable with that as well, because God does things like that. Whether you go science or whether you go the glory of God, shining, there, there, there's an answer there. And the wise men saw it, even though the religious leaders didn't get it, they got it. They got it, and they came. And so even though, as you know, we like to put the wise men in the manger, as, as uh, Mohia, our wise man, said earlier, came to a little cottage, probably, little house, presented gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gold fit for a king, the incense, which was expensive and sweet-smelling, the myrrh, which is also like another fragrant sort of perfume, sometimes used in burials. Again, I am, I am probably pretty sure that they did not understand that, that Jesus was born to die. Advent happened so that the crucifixion could happen. If Jesus didn't take on flesh, he couldn't have been killed. That's why we have a Christmas. But maybe there's an echo there that Matthew wanted you to see. Myrrh. They brought myrrh. Maybe. But in general, we should say, they came to worship. They came to worship. They said, we see the star. They probably saw the scriptures and they said, we will respond. We will make this long, long journey and we will bow down and worship this king. And that's the challenge for you and me. What will you do with the king? Are you hearing from him on a regular basis? Because he's talking. Can I just challenge you to think for a second on this? Think about this. What in my life needs to change in order to better hear from the king? I don't have to travel hundreds of miles on camelback to experience King Jesus. All I have to do is open this up and read. 
And yet that is so difficult for so many of us. What needs to change so that you can better hear from King Jesus? Can I give you a couple seconds? Write a couple maybe ideas down on your, on your, uh, on your notes or in your bulletin. Do you need to designate a time? Do you need to talk to your spouse and say, let's, we gotta, we, either we're going to read this together and hold this accountable or it's not going to happen? Do you need to pick a book that you know you can start with and understand? You start with Leviticus, you might get disappointed. If that's your first experience, <laughs> maybe you start in the Gospels. Maybe you go for an extremely practical book like James. You'll hear from the king. You can hear in Leviticus as well, of course. But there's always obstacles. Too busy. Too rushed. But this is Christmas. And the king wants to talk to you. Just like he talked to people the first Christmas. He wants to talk to you. And he's not sending Gabriel. He sent you this. Pray that you listen. Close your eyes for a moment. I'd like to read Psalm chapter 19. Would you just listen? There have been a couple times in my life where um, I got into the habit of studying the Bible in order to preach and not looking at it in order for me personally, you know, just me and the king. And uh, I don't want to be that person. And sometimes God has kind of shaken me from... uh, my own apathy towards just having a quiet time with me and the Lord by someone reading scripture and I would just hear it and go, oh, I want to hear it the way I heard it today. I want to read Psalm 19. I think I'm going to read it twice. Would you see if there's a verse in here that really strikes you this morning as a, as a verse or a word from God to you? I'll read it twice. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from, from his pavilion like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there's great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive me my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I'll read it again and listen for a phrase, a word, a verse that you feel like God's impressing on your heart today. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he's pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there's great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Worship team, if you come up, let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for talking to us. Thank you that your word is alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Thank you that the heavens declare the glory of God. 
that, that, the, that the skies actually talk to us because everyone in every language can look up and see that what they're looking at is amazing. And we don't need the Hubble telescope to see that the universe is incredible and vast. And yet when we do look through those kind of things, we see that it is immense and yet you could hold it in your hands. And so it tells us that there is someone, there is a being that put this all in motion. And if you put life on a little speck in the universe, he must care about that life. And given them a book to help communicate with them. Given them his Holy Spirit to live inside them and influence their thoughts and actions. God, you're so good to speak to us. You showed the wise men a star in the sky and they followed it for so many miles. Lord, speak to us and help us follow you for all the miles you've given us in this life. May we bow down and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.